Hello, welcome back, everybody. SF Live episode 194 this Monday morning. And uh, I'm joined in a few short seconds by none other than Jeff Christian. He's the managing partner at the CPM Group, and we're going to talk silver, silver market, silver drivers, silver price, silver demand, and all of the details. We're going to clear up some things and talk about future uses of silver and a whole lot. So let's see if we can pack it all in in 25 minutes. But time, it is really good timing as well, because we've seen a massive sell-off last week as well. Is it now the time to buy some silver? Go long, silver, stay short. We'll talk to Jeff Christian about that. But before we switch over to our guest, of course, be reminded of two things. First, this is an interactive format. If you have any questions for our expert, make sure to put them in the YouTube chat or in the uh, use the Twitter hashtag AskCPM. We'll monitor the questions and to get them uh, or ask them uh, when when either fitting or we'll get them uh, to get to them at the end of the conversation. And of course, make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button as well. Turn on the bell notification. Do all our interviews live. That way you do have an advantage. You hear it firsthand. And of course, you can stay ahead of our friends that just watch the replays. So make sure to use that. Now, enough of my... Good. Good. It's a nice, hot, muggy afternoon. Terrible time to be in New York City. <laughs> well, it, it's a tough one to unpack because uh, it's not particularly where I look at the market. I mean, if you look at the silver squeeze, a lot of it was nonsense. And a lot of it still is nonsense, just to be you know, painfully honest. Uh, if you look from January, February to now, you've seen about 40 million ounces come off of the COMEX inventories. Almost all of that was taken off by major banks and delivered to fa fabricators, electronics companies, solar panel uh, manufacturers, and a host of other people. Uh, there was very little silver that was actually taken off of COMEX inventories by investors. Uh, and I think that it has been good. I mean, I've been a proponent of silver investment since the 70s when I got into this business. Uh, and, you know, we helped create the World Silver Survey in the late 80s because the Silver Institute came to us and said, hey, why is the silver price going down? And we said, because investors aren't buying and because the sell side's not selling to it. You know, Merrill Lynch, Dean Witter, all these banks and brokerage houses that were selling silver in 1981, 82 are getting out of the business. Uh, and so no one's selling silver to them. And, and investors are kind of disillusioned because the price went to 50, came to 16, and it didn't go back up to 50, and it didn't go to 100 the way Jerome Smith promised them. You know, in fact, it's down to $5. Um, and, and so we helped create the World Silver Survey to try to distribute information uh, to investors. And at that time, it's very important to understand, the shift had occurred in the late 80s where more money was being managed by professional money managers than individual investors. And those money managers came from the stock market and the bond market. And the bond market, it was all numbers. Uh, and in the stock market, it was, okay, the SEC and the Canadian authorities and the British authorities make sure that anything that's published is accurate. And then you get into the silver market where everything's secretive except mine production because the mining companies have regulations that they have to you know, file this stuff. And they have an economic interest because they want investors to invest in them. But secondary refiners private companies, very competitive industry, very secretive, investors, extremely secretive, and fabricators have no regulatory obligation to report how much metal they're using, 
uh, or anything else, and they have an economic interest in not telling people that. You know, so um, it's a very secretive business, and you have these fund managers who are being told, okay, we're going to go into gold and silver. Uh, and they start saying, wait a second, there's no data. And the SEC doesn't verify that the data is accurate, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the Treasury actually has all had a long-held uh, posture, which is we're not going to try to regulate information about gold and silver because all we'll do is stimulate the gold conspiracy theorists. Oh, they're trying to regulate information flows here. So the Treasury has always had a hands-off approach toward gold and silver, even though they're a large user of gold and silver in their Eagle coin programs. Uh, and, and but you know we've always promoted it, so you have seen some increased awareness. And you know we have a YouTube channel and we have YouTube videos that we've been doing since last year, and it's very good. Like one of the comments from our video from Friday was, you know, I really am grateful to the Wall Street silver people, because while everything they're publishing is nonsense, it is through them that I have found CPM Group. And you guys have real information and real data and 40, 50 years of experience, you know, as impartial observers of the silver market. And I'm grateful that I found you. Yeah. No, fantastic. And let's look at the hard data real quick for, for the last six months as well. I just want to know, like, that silver squeeze, like, did they actually trigger a, a short squeeze on silver? Like, or, or physical, like, I've seen some of the mints obviously run out, but that was more supply driven that they couldn't produce the coins fast enough. But there wasn't really a shortage on silver. Is that correct? Did we see a dip in yeah. uh, in the inventories there? Or did we actually well, get like close said, to zero? Comex inventories are off about 40 million ounces. Uh, London inventories are back up, and they may be at record levels now. If not, they're very close to the record levels that they had in er in the first quarter of 2020, at the end of 2019, first quarter of 2020. So, no, there really wasn't a big withdrawal of silver from the market, and there wasn't necessarily a big price response. Uh, if, you, if you go through some of the things that's like, you know, PSLV said that they couldn't find silver, but... I saw an interview uh, with somebody who's tangentially attached to the PSLV, and he was he was saying what we had said. It's not that they couldn't find the silver, is that they didn't want to pay the transportation charges because they store their metal in Ottawa. And Ottawa is not exactly, you know, one of the main depots for silver, <laughs> with all due respect to the RCM. You know, uh, so it, it wasn't that there was a shortage there. If you look at the RCM itself, it wasn't necessarily a shortage of, of, of coins. There were some blanking issues. And the same was true with the U.S. Mint. And, and you had some blanking issues, which had to do with changes at the blanking manufacturers. So there wasn't ever a shortage of silver. And it was, you know, it, 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 it was kind of a non-event. Now, I've taken some criticism, and it's very funny because it's so ill-placed, about Mike, I made a comment and you know, somebody said, well, what kind of silver analyst doesn't look at the massive inflow of silver into the PSLV? And, and my answer was the kind that looks at that, analyzes it and says, wow, this could account for 20% of the price moves in silver since the early, uh, since January. But there are other factors that seem to be accounting for it. So the changes in PSLV and the changes in the silver squeeze don't seem to have had any quantifiable effect on the silver price. 
Interesting. There are a couple of interesting things you mentioned in there I want to follow up on. And uh, one, one thing is, like, did we see any changes in how silver was traded or in the fundamentals at all from the silver squeeze movement there? Was there anything latest business slightly conducted different? Is there anything we took away from this or is, are we back to business as usual? I spend my time in the core market, major producers, major refineries and smaller producers and smaller refineries, fabricators, institutional investors, family offices, significant investors of, of silver and companies that supply silver investments to retail investors. And I haven't seen any significant changes in any of those sectors as a result of all of this. Okay, so they didn't start, like, let's say, for lack of a better term, stacking more silver or ordering more silver just to make sure that that doesn't happen again, that they don't get caught off guard or anything? Like anything, like inventory rules or something, any, nothing's changed? I, nothing that I've seen has okay. changed. Okay, perfect. Another thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned that only 20% of the price move in silver is sort of attributable to the PSLV. Let, let's talk about the other 80%. Um, right. what, what else moved the price of silver? It's important to understand. I mean, you know, that's a R squared. And that represents a hypothetical or potential influence. It doesn't say that that actually was the influence. But the major factors that you see that have had an effect on the price that is a higher uh, correl statistical correlation, the U.S. Treasury interest rates, uh, the arbitrage between London and New York, the U.S. dollar exchange rate, and surprisingly, the stock market, but in a way that's kind of surprising in that as the stock price rises, you've seen more people buying gold and silver because they're more nervous at a higher stock price than they are at a lower stock price. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've been having conversations with friends in the U.S. as well because they're looking now at the stock, as you, as you said, the stock's rising, but they also look at the inflation numbers. And they're like, Kai, mm -hmm. Kai what, I, what do I do? I had a really good conversation with a good friend of mine. It's like, how do I buy silver and, and, and gold? And uh, I recommended the PSLV to him, so, like just as a as a as a hedge to what what's going on. Um, is is that what's happening? Is that what you described? Is that people just hedging their 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 stock market bets overall? I think the stock market and the interest rate markets have been the two major factors, and to a third the third one being the currency market. But I think the stock market and the interest rate markets have been the major factors. Uh, stimulating investment demand for silver and gold over the last six months, over the first half of this year. Um, the P PSLV, you said like they're, they're storing in Ottawa, but where are they getting their silver from in general? Like, what's their source? Because as soon as you put a dollar in, they have to buy a dollar of silver, correct? Right. Um, I don't follow them that closely. They're closed-end fund, and I don't understand the wisdom of investing in closed-end <laughs> funds. Uh, uh, but they buy their silver in the market from market makers. So, you know, I don't know who's on their authorized uh, dealer list. You know, I do know from other companies who their authorized dealers are, but they probably have, you know, trading lines with a handful of major dealers that they can call up and say, you know, I need 100,000 ounces of silver, 200,000 ounces of silver. Gotcha. Like we're jumping around a bit. I want to come back to the silver price and what's driving the prices because I want to recap what happened mm -hmm. last week. Right. And uh, why there was a sell-off in silver, gold as well, but uh, we were focusing on silver. Um, why has there been that sell-off? Like, what did we see? What triggered it? And, and what changed in the fundamentals that we see, like sub-$26 prices right now? Right. We had a video a couple of weeks ago that was titled, Time to Take Off Your Silver-Tinted Glasses. And that's the key to understanding last week. Silver prices fell sharply. Gold prices fell sharply. Platinum and palladium and copper and a variety of other assets all fell sharply. 
And if you say, okay, so that suggests it's not anything specific to silver or silver and gold, and it probably wasn't some nasty conspiracy, you know, run by the Fed to slam those two down because it was a much broader thing. And the thing that changed just before those prices sold off was the dollar rose sharply and interest rates, you know, you have 10 year treasuries rose six basis points, which is not a lot. And they fell back consequently, you know, subsequently they fell back, but U.S. Treasury rates rose about six basis points. The dollar rose. And the most important thing was the FOMC released its statement in which they said, look, we think that inflation is picking up. We do think it's transitory, uh, but we do think the economy is recovering. And maybe in 24 months or so, we could see higher interest rates. 24 months from now, late there, and, that's a, and you stop and you have to stop and think about it, but markets don't stop and think. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what's great, you know. So here's the Fed saying, yeah, we could see that interest rates could go from 1% to, or 1.5% to 25 to 2.5%, oh, 24 months now. But understand, 24 months from now is a long, long time from now, and a lot's going to change, you know. Probably, possibly the Constitution of the U.S. Congress, you know, and, and gosh knows where we are. And if you go back to, say, 2015, when they started raising interest rates, they said, oh, we're going to raise interest rates, you know, going forward. And it lasted a couple of years and they said, oh, we can't do this anymore. So, you know, it was kind of an inconsequential type of thing. But you did see, um, excuse me here, uh, you did see that that had a reaction in the market. And... Um, that was the major factor. And, and in fact, the fact that it was across markets tells you it wasn't anything specific to silver. And I think they made a quite populistic statement as well. They compared inflation to the lumber prices. That's been, because yeah. the lumber prices look, look like right. a Christmas tree, right? Like right. The, 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 so they, they made that uh, comparison there, which obviously a lot of people took, took very seriously because they understand populistic images and, and stuff like comparisons. <laughs> they would have just used dull language probably half the or the, mm. the FOMC release would have gone over the head of half the people reading it, right? So um, th th that's my comment. But they're also backpedaling already. Like I've seen one of the yeah. Fed members come out, I was like, well, 2023, that's not really set in stone yet, and we we'll have to see, right? But wasn't that already priced in? Like, didn't we expect something like that already in 2023? Like, w what changed? Like, uh, I, I was under the impression that we're, gonna t we we're talking about 2023 already before, like in April and May statements. Yeah, it's... Nothing changed other than investors' perceptions. Now, take it back, and you know we actually issued a market commentary to our our clients on I think last Wednesday or Thursday, and uh, Thursday. And what we said there was that was the occasion for the rise or for the sell-off in, in in metals prices and the rise in the dollar. The cause was growing investor concerns about the pace of economic recovery and a host of other financial and economic issues. And what we'd seen was a lot of dis unease in the market. Hey, you know, the Fed says inflation is going to rise on a transitory basis. And it was very crazy because, yeah, you know, you had one month of high infl inflation figures and I had clients saying to me, well, is that the transitory phase? You know, does this inflation fall next month? I go, no, no, the transitory phase might last into the fourth quarter of this year. Yeah. I mean, you know, give us a break here. Yeah, but there's such a short term and sh so much short term thinking 
not only in the financial markets, but across society right now, that you just have this thing. But we saw this growing ill at ease about the state of the economy and how fast it was growing and what's happening with the labor market and what's happening with inflation figures. And you saw that people were getting very nervous, not only about commodity prices, but also housing prices and stock markets and interest rates. So there were a lot of people with one foot aimed at the door when the Fed came out with that statement. And yeah, I think that Fed statement was incredibly poorly uh, crafted. Yeah. No, it's exactly coming back to the conversation I had with my best friend there. It, it, it is that thing. Like, they're, they are halfway out of the market. Like, I think Yellen said something about raising interest rates, and the market dropped off 2 3% that day. Yeah. Right? So they are ready to, to exit the door. Um, let's look at more the, the future and actually... The, the U.S. government is crafting a six billion dollar infrastructure package right now. Um, like, how is that impacting supply and demand on the silver side? Like, and the infrastructure package is going to be a lot of green wave initiatives, um, or going to include a lot of that. Like, how is that factor into the silver price, and how is that maybe a price driver coming up? Well, I think first the infrastructure package. There, there's six trillion dollars in spending. There's like one or two trillion dollars in infrastructure, and a very small portion of that's actually green. You know, there is a lot of bullishness in, in silver, which I think is misplaced, about how the green energy revolution is going to push up silver demand. And A, it's not happening right now particularly strongly. B, it may not happen. And even if it does, it's probably distant future, you know. Uh, but I think the bigger effect is the massive amount of, of spending that you're seeing on the government. And, you know, Biden has talked about a new New Deal. And, you know, that is probably much more important for silver, not because of green energy per se, but across the spectrum of, of, of demand for silver, not only in green energy, but in brown energy and in housing and in electronics and consumer electronics and electronics for manufacturing, you know, uh, plant and equipment. Uh, so I think that the idea that the government could say, well, let's spend a lot of money and start rebuilding this country uh, is generally positive for silver and other commodities that are used in manufactured products. Yeah, right, right now we are seeing a shortage in chips, for example. That's been a, a dominant mm -hmm. topic in the news as well. Do, do you All see right. that uh, uh, in, into the future? Like, there's shortages like that? Like, and, and what is driving those shortages? Like, Silver is obviously not a part of it from what I've read, but uh, right. how does that factor in and how is that price relevant? It, that's part of the reason why we think, you know, we agree that inflation is transitory. I mean, what you've got is a lot of industries that went from 100 to 50 to zero. And and let me explain that, you know, they, 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 the economic weakness was building up in 2017, 18 and 19 already. And so you saw silver fabrication demand decline from 2018 to 2019. Then in 2020, you had this complete lockdown. So if you were going from, let's say that 2016 industrial production was 100 on an index basis, and it went down to 98, and then 95, and 93, and then it went to zero. And now it's coming back. And you've got to restart that whole system. So we really have had supply chain disruptions, and we've also had other issues, the silver price, copper price, other prices are up sharply from where they were. So you start talking about this, this supply chain, and people don't understand what that is. It, it includes manufacturers. 
And if you look at silver, you know, there may be 10 different companies that touch an ounce of silver from the time it's mined to the time it's used in a fabricated product. And each of them has to borrow money to finance their working inventories. And they say, okay, I don't need $10 million for my silver inventories now. My, my, my fabrication demand is up 100% from then. I need $20 million. And the bank says, no, you don't need $20 million. You need $40 million because not only has your volume doubled, but the price has doubled. So I was hard pressed to justify giving you a $10 million credit line in 2019. And for me to go to my boss and say, these guys need a $40 million credit line is just a bridge too far. So, you know, part of the supply chain is the money which is one of the reasons why the Treasury and the Fed are pumping so much money into the in, into the economy to try to grease those machinery, grease that machinery and get it started. It is a transitory thing. It will change. It will fix. Uh, and, but right now, it's, it's caused a problem. So I don't see it persisting beyond this year. Uh, and in fact, I was reading an article today about various indicators that in many industries, the supply chain is probably already starting to uh, resolve itself. Yeah. Interesting to see that because I'm waiting for a new graphics card as well myself. So I'm waiting for that to play out and I don't want to pay scalper prices for that. So I've um, been watching that closely. Um, to, to sort of wrap this conversation up, let's talk about the summer real quick and the seasonality um, like that, that's coming up. Like I'm going on break in a couple of weeks here as well. But uh, how do you see seasonality play into the markets this, uh, th this year? Of course, last year was a special situation. Are we back to normal in terms of trading or how do you factor uh, seasonality yeah. in this year? Well, seasonality is important, but it is easily overridden by temporal specific events. And we saw that in 2019 and we saw it again in 2020. And to some extent, you're seeing it again this year. Now, the price decline last week, you know, is like, uh, I have a saying, I'm often amazed, but I'm never surprised. You know, we had been saying, we thought that the prices could weaken gold, silver uh, in the second and third quarters. And we were starting to question the wisdom of that until last week. And, you know, we had been telling people that we thought that the price of gold, which was like 1940, you know, could go to 18 or 1780 or even 1680. And we still think it could go to 1680 on a spike down uh, because we're looking at what could be a measured move in the gold price right now. Same similar uh, technical pattern in the silver market. So, you know, the seasonality is there, but there is this, like I said, revamping and, and, and everybody's gearing up. So I think that the seasonality will reduce silver prices and gold prices in you know, July, June, July, August. But the decline may not be as strong as it would otherwise be thought to be because of the rejuvenation of economic activity. I find it really interesting because half the people, it feels like are traveling right now with borders opening up and travel opportunities, especially in Europe. They're all over the map right now. Germany opened up like two weeks ago. And uh, they're traveling. Like half the people I wanted to meet two weeks ago in Germany, they were like, oh, well, I'm on vacation. I'm on some island or somewhere. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to figure out how that factors into the overall market this summer as as restrictions are loosening, right? Because 
pe people are done doing this, what we're doing right now in front of a computer all summer and, and yeah. they do want to travel. So I'm curious how that factors in. And, and maybe my very last question now is like, I, I'm asking for some pointers for our viewers. Like where can they find some reliable data? Where would you send them about the silver market to make up their own mind and see if it comes out, okay, this is what you want to track. This is what you want to look at. Well, CPM groups. Oh, so, sorry, I forgot to point out the obvious one. <laughs> CPMgroup.com, our silver yearbook is probably the best place to start. Uh, I wrote a book actually back in 2005 called Commodities Rising, and it was commodities for investors. And the origin of that book is very telling. Uh, I got a call from a publisher and he said, you know, Jeff, uh, there's a book, Jim, Jim Rogers has published a book, Hot Commodities, and there are two things you need to know about it. It's a bestseller and it is full of errors. It's just a dreadful book. The guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I, you know, everybody knows that. Anybody who knows Jim Rogers and reads him objectively, you know, the guy's been talking about the death, the collapse of Western civilization and, and sky high gold prices since 1968. You know, and someday he'll be right. But uh, so we want you to write a book and they called it Kamathi's Rising. And it's a, it's a basic primer for investors. And it's, you know, I get nothing out of it because it's long gone. But that's a really good place to just sort of read, not only about silver, but just investing in commodities, commodities place in the world economy, the world economy's effects on commodities. There is a chapter on silver. It's from 2005 when the price was $5 an ounce. The silver yearbook is probably the best place. But one of the things that we've always seen, people always say, well, what do I read? You know, where do I get information? And the answer is there, there is a paucity of good information. There are a lot of people who hold themselves out as experts of gold and silver, but they don't, you know, they're, they're, their statistics, their analysis are terrible. You know, if you see a guy and he says, he's been saying for 40 years that the price is going to $100 because Western world is, is collapsing, you don't have to read him. <laughs> you can go find somebody else, you know. Um, but there isn't a lot of information. People ask us where we get our information. We get our information wherever we can. But like we don't read a lot of newsletters from people. We go to the basic statistics. So, you know, I'll just give you an example. This is a report, the role of critical minerals in clean energy transitions from the International Energy Agency. I'm not listening to the brokers on Bay Street and the banks. I'm not listening to the lithium stock promoters. I'm listening to the International Energy Agency, and they're telling me. And by the way, that report doesn't mention silver. Interesting. Okay. That's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you really want to know the stuff, you got to dig down to the root sources. Fantastic. No, that's a good point. LBMA, any other website? Like, what, what website do you open when you come to the office in the morning? I open a chart. Uh, I open a website that gives me precious metals prices, copper prices, and the U.S. dollar. Yeah, awesome. All right. I'm looking at the prices because yeah, you know, we always say if our analysis says this and the price does that, we're going to assume the price is right and our analysis is wrong. Now that's diametrically opposed to a lot of these guys who say, well, clearly the price is being manipulated because I can't possibly be wrong. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's like the way you want to spin it, right? No, that makes sense. <laughs> appreciate it. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's always great chatting with you. I really appreciate some of the insights into the silver market and some of the other commodities as well. Uh, hope to catch up with you before the end of the year and see where we're at on, on silver. I got to ask, silver price prediction, do you have one? Well, we think the price, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the price spike down. 
you know, right now we're telling our very short-term clients that we think the price could go up to 27, 27, 25. We're looking at the potential of a measured move in gold and silver. And if it gets up to 27, 27, 5, you know, first off, it's the 21st of June. So we're moving into the first delivery period of the July contract. The July roll is going there. That could support the price in the next week. Beyond July 5th, that'll be behind the market and the price could come off. I wouldn't be surprised to see 23 and a half, 24, 24 and a half dollars on a spike down. Then I'm looking for the price basically between 25 and 29 over the rest of the third quarter. Uh, and then higher prices, maybe 27 to 30 in the fourth quarter, and then slightly higher prices in 2022, and much higher prices at some point in the future when the next recession and financial crisis occurs. Right. And we, we'll catch up on that as well, because I want to talk about what was actually driving then those prices. So really curious. Jeff, thanks okay. so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us. And uh, let, let's catch up before the year ends and get another update. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Everybody else, thanks for tuning in. This was SF Live episode 194. I was joined by Jeff Christian. He's the managing partner at the CPN Group. He has been analyzing the silver market for over 40 years. So I, re I really enjoyed talking to him. It's a data-driven approach to, to do, analyzing the silver market. Really appreciate his insights. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. Hit that like and subscribe button and turn on that bell notification as well. We do all our interviews live. That way you do have an advantage. We hear from all the experts straight from the horse's mouth, as I like to say. And uh, make sure to use that advantage. We'll be back at 11.15 with an update from Philo Mining. Thanks so much for joining us.